Hello and welcome to the Broadway Binge Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Hannah. And we are going to tell you the history of American musical theater, one musical at a time, by reviewing and ranking all the most important musicals from Showboat to today. Today we go off-Broadway with The Fantastics, which premiered in 1960 with music by Harvey Schmidt and lyrics by Tom Jones, not the pop singer Tom Jones, a separate person, <laughs> um, and is loosely based on the play Le Romanesque by Edward, sorry, Edmund Rostand, who you would know as the writer of Cyrano de Bergerac. I didn't think about the fact that this one was off-Broadway. I think this is our first um, off-Broadway, exclusively off-Broadway show. You would be mistaken. Well, okay, no, you're not. <laughs> you, you added in exclusively. Because we exclusively. did... I know we did shows that had off-Broadway runs. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. Um, well, so Three Penny right. has been on Broadway more recently, and we played clips of the um, Alan Cumming and uh, what's what's her face? Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper mm-hmm. production, which you saw. I did. Um, but... But the version we spent the most time talking about with Three Penny Opera was the off-Broadway version with the involvement of Mark Blitstein, who had previously done an off-Broadway show, The Cradle Will Rock, which he actually wrote. And that was kind of like a communist musical where everyone <laughs> sat in just like chairs on a stage and they would stand up when it was time for them to sing. And one sort of through line of these off, these original sort of formative off-Broadway experiences that changed off-Broadway to just like smaller Broadway into like the weird experimental place that we kind of know today, plus just like pre-Broadway, which it also is. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Cradle of Rock, it, it was supposed to be staged, but because of like various like union stuff and politics, ended up like they had to move theater spaces literally the night of, so they just that's the reason why they had the situation where the cast would just sit in their chairs and stand up to sing. Mark Blitzstein then went and made Three Penny, which is a little bit more traditional, but still this kind of like black boxy, you know, experimental kind of... <laughs> it's in a black box. Off-Broadway, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, at that point, I don't know if it wasn't a black box. I don't know if that term had been invented yet. Um, so now... We should look that up. <laughs> so after that, you're starting to get these smaller shows. And right. we come to 1960, and we have this writing team. They're brand new. They're fresh. The two of them met each other at um, a state school in Texas. I don't know if it was UT Austin, one of those Texas schools. Sorry, Texas listeners, for not knowing the distinction. Um, and originally, they had planned to take this uh, musical, or sorry, this play, The Romanesques, which kind of... It takes interpretation from Romeo and Juliet, Pyramus and Thisbe, all these forbidden love stories. And um, Edmund Rostand, who's you know, a very sort of satirical, sharp-witted French playwright, uh, sort of made this kind of parody of those. So originally, the team that put together the Fantastics was not Jones and Schmidt. It was Tom Jones and another guy, John Donald Robb. And at the University of New Mexico, they adapted this play into a Western, and it involved... What? Um, a half-breed Apache quote. Sorry, I, that's not, that is what they said. A half-breed Apache as the show's antagonist. And Jones didn't like it, so he split up with Donald Robb, teamed up with Schmidt, and they totally rewrote the show um, involving the character of Mortimer, who still plays an Indian or Native American in the uh, in the rape ballet, which we'll discuss ah! later. Yeah. Oh, man, we're going to get right into it. What right. a, another um, flawless, uh, progressive, yeah. <laughs> feminist <laughs> musical, musical from the American musical theater canon. Yes. <laughs> Here we are. So kind of like those earlier off-Broadway musicals we talked about that were supposed to be bigger, this was supposed to be sort of a Rodgers and Hammerstein-esque show with like a an ensemble of 40-something people, but just... That never really worked out, and what happened was they were invited to this week of one-act plays at Barnard College in New York, um, which is, it's the all-women's school that's affiliated with Columbia. still exists to this day. I've actually seen a play at Barnard, and they still put on good theater to this very day, but now it's all students. I think these were professionals just doing a a summer thing at Barnard. Mm -hmm. 
So they took their big musical, they really scaled it down. All the characters, you know, were just dressed in simple costumes in black. The stage was just a platform. The props, there's a sun and a moon made of cardboard, which they would just hang from a fishing pole to show what the time of day was. Or maybe not a fishing pole, they might have actually held it up with a stick or something. Fishing pole's nice, though. Something like that. Like, there was a, a literal sun and moon. And they eventually moved this over to Broadway, sorry, not Broadway, downtown, um, to the Sullivan Street Playhouse, which is in Greenwich Village. Um, and it was a huge success, and people loved it, and it fundamentally changed what we think of as Broadway and what we think of as theater. And there's a lot more to be said about yeah. it in detail, but that's sort of just the bare bones. What is it? Why is it good? Yeah, that's I mean, important. let's dig into that. Like, what about the Fantastics is different or surprising or, I don't know, revelatory? Yes, so I have a quote from Great. a book. Oh, Jeremy has a quote from a book. So this is by Tom Jones, who again was the lyricist, not the music writer. He did not sing What's New Pussycat. Um, no, <laughs> or um, It's Not Unusual. <laughs> it's not unusual. Um, he, also, he also sang Thunderball, the James Bond song. Um, and Not this Tom Jones. No, the, the other, other one. one. And he held the final note, the Thunderball, so long and so high, he held it for like, a lot of time that he literally passed out in the recording session, and you can kind of hear him trail off at the end of the song. We should. This is probably actually worth playing. It's worth playing. Hold on. Um, Tom Jones is also the name of my voice teacher in grad school. Oh, really? So, yep. Shout out to Tom. I mean, it's like a very... It's, it's not the most common name. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is it. Here we go. You can hear him. You can hear him stagger away. Um, That's so funny. Okay, yeah, that had nothing to do with the Fantastics. <laughs> um, had everything to do with the Fantastics. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so read us your quote, Jeremy. Yes, yeah, so Tom Jones said, We decided to have the little play acted out on a simple the platform stage by a small band of actors in the manner of a Commedia dell'arte troupe. And uh, side note, Commedia dell'arte is sort of an old renaissance Italian form of theater <laughs> where people would sort of prance around about the stage and there were like stock characters. It's like masks. Yeah, it's like a very yeah, classic style of theater. It deserves more description than we could give it right now, but um, yeah. But know that it exists. It exists and it's very different from the sort of naturalistic Broadway style of acting, which we are accustomed to. And yet there's a lot of influence of it actually all over the place, I would argue. But more on that later. Well, you're an expert We're now. only We already did a sidebar for Tom yeah. Jones, so <laughs> okay. we can't. Um, in the manner of a Commedia dell'arte troupe, more than that, we decided to make our musical a celebration of the presentational stage devices, which were, at that time, almost totally absent from the American theater. We decided to have a narrator who could speak directly to the audience, setting the scenes and explaining the story and moving us forward whenever necessary, dispensing with the realistic exposition and time-consuming realism of the modern stage. We decided to utilize the invisible prop man from the Chinese theater to assist in creating scenic effects by such simple suggestions as holding up a cardboard moon or sprinkling confetti to evoke the image of rain or snow. We decided to keep the musicians in full view. This hadn't been done before. We decided to have... I just added that bit. Anyway, <laughs> this is back to the quote. We decided to have direct address to the audience, and we decided to have the whole thing written in verse. In other words, our concept was to put actors on a simple platform and with the use of presentational stage devices in the imagination of the audience to see if we could tell a story of growing up that would touch people. I mean, okay, it's also very Brechtian, right? Like, that's what that is to me. They're like oh, and there's like a simple stage and we see the things going up and down and we're exposing like the machine of the theater. Um, 
that's correct. I mean, you're right. This yeah. was not new to theater. Oh, but new to Broadway for sure. Yeah, or new yeah. to like off Broadway. I mean, new to musicals. He. I also want to point out. Um, I read over your shoulder that he uh, got the narrator device idea from a production of Our Town that he saw. That is true. So, yeah, I mean, this is all not brand new, but it, it's it's probably difficult to overstate how different Broadway totally. musicals were from plays. Now there's a lot more of a blend. I mean, I just think of a show like, um, what just won the Tony? I love it. The Band's Visit. I was really worried you were going to say Dear Evan Hansen. No, no, I hate Dear Evan Hansen. Um, the hot ba- take. Hot take. Is it a hot take? I don't know if it's a hot take. I haven't seen it. Uh, oh, you anyway. haven't seen Hanson? No. But you love Hanson. I just like to sing the one song. Yeah, because the thing is, when you just listen to the music, you don't realize how despicable no, the I... character of Evan Hansen is and all of his high school <laughs> friends. There's three of them, and they basically ruin <laughs> everyone's lives. The three characters are all, like, absolutely horrible people. Um, I like to listen to Waving Through a Window at the gym, and that's my shame. And, yeah. Um, no, it's I'll, okay. I'll stand by it. It's okay. The band's <laughs> visit is almost just a, kind of like a play with songs in it. Mm. It doesn't even feel like it should be on Broadway. It's like you're in this little intimate thing. But that was not how it was. I mean, we're right. talking, like, we just did Bye Bye Birdie. Right. We're talking, like, huge Golden Age productions. And in terms of the level of realism, that feels like the thing that's really different. Like, this is totally stripped. Very, in, in a way, like, more theatrical, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, which I dig. So, okay, so new vocabulary, successful Broadway run, very long off-Broadway yeah, run. Yeah, and, and sort of the, the world, the, the musical theater world we live in today, where you have, like, you know, college kids across the nation, or, like, young people just sort of putting together Wait, little song cycles. It never went to Broadway. I it just never went a to lie. Broadway. That was a lie. Um, just, you know, people putting on little musicals, like, I'm going to write a song cycle, I'm going to make a little musical with my friends. Another big thing worth noting is that the, um, the orchestra for Fantastics was one piano, and one harp. That's what they always say, like one piano, one harp. But on the soundtrack, you can hear percussion as well. So I'm pretty sure there's also a percussionist. I'm trying to slight the percussionist. I know. I, I on the soundtrack at least, which I think is probably the same orchestration as the original off-Broadway production. You do hear a drum set at times, and you hear a timpani very often. It tends to be a piano and a timpani and a harp is what I'm. Mm. I'm most, and you'll hear that when we get into the songs. Sounds like a band of angels to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so so right. So smaller orchestra. Yeah. Smaller, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just. Like, I sort of think, I have this theory that there's a genre of music, which I call the Broadway genre of music. Okay, same one. Um, and, and you might say, like, oh, you know, Broadway's never been its own genre. Back in the day, it was swing music, and then there was rock music, and now Broadway's popish. And sure, that's true. That's what it's influenced by. But, I mean, if you put a lot of Broadway songs today in sort of popish musicals, like, you know, your Legally Blondes or mm-hmm. your, your Heathers, I recently listened to that soundtrack for the first time. That's not the same genre. In, in a world where like every single musician has their own subgenre, which is named, the Broadway genre of music is not anything that exists outside of Broadway. There's a sort of feel mm. to it. Even like, I mean, there's some Broadway shows which are very much not that. You know, like right. a, a Hamilton, or there might be an, sure. sort of an explicit rock musical, like a Spring Awakening by Duncan Sheik or whatever. But even like a Hamilton, he was so um, influenced by classic Broadway, like yeah. American musical theater. I think that like Broadway music is often takes the ingredients of the day and then puts them through the Broadway machine. And so, like, I think the thing you're referring to is whatever the rules of that Broadway machine are. Because there are elements, right, that you have in common across, yes. you know, and in terms of how we think about narrative or just, like, the structure of the overture. like How songs start, how songs finish, you know, right. the, the big glory note. Like, yeah. there's just certain <laughs> elements. And if I was more of a musical expert, I wish we could get your sister The glory on, note? Hannah. Yeah, um, we should get my sister on. Hold yeah. On. Speaking of glory notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. the first time I've ever um, unpro- unprovoked tried to do my own 
sound cue. Yeah. I think yeah, it I think, went well. <laughs> uh, I mean, it sounds like that to you, but you also bang the mic a lot, so well. you hear, like, weird noises. Um... Anyway, um, okay, so, yeah. So, so my, th- my theory about the Fantastics is, in addition to creating this sort of language of theater where a musical can be small, can be low-key, can have a cast of only eight. This had a cast of nine to start, and they cut the, the ninth actor pretty quickly. Mm. Um, as a handyman, I don't even know where the handyman would fit in the plot because <laughs> it's, like, it's not in the version I've seen. Sure. But, yeah, so my sort of theory is that before this, Broadway music and pop music were kind of very similar. Songs that were hits on Broadway would become hits on the radio. There actually right. wasn't a distinction mm. because the Broadway songs were the hits of the day. Right. But then now we're at 1960, rock music is starting to take over. I think with the Fantastics, um, I'm sure this, you know, this wasn't the very first musical to have a genre like this, but I sort of feel like this is where we sort of start to turn into this Broadway genre of music that it's really difficult for me to define. But you know, you can listen to a song like, that's a Broadway style song. And I think the Fantastics, when you listen to it, you sort of can see the through line from the Fantastics to a lot of the stuff on Broadway today, more so than you could from like The King and I to today or Oklahoma to today. Yeah. I think we should listen to some of the music. Let's do that. And talk about that. And then we can talk about it structurally too. Yeah. So let's just start with Try to Remember, which is probably the best song in the show. I would agree with that. Um, I think it's the most, certainly the most recognized yeah, there's, there's a few really recognized, but I'd say I agree with you. Try to remember is the best. And this is sung by Jerry Orbach. We'll play a little bit, and then we'll talk about <laughs> Jerry Orbach. Because he's like a star. so good yeah it's it's um one of the all-time great broadway songs yeah oh jerry orbach 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 Orbach. jerry orbach you want me to shock you right now yes he was 25 when he sang that on that recording doesn't he sound like he's already like middle-aged jerry orbach he's younger than me i know younger than i am younger than either of us that's Um, sad well yeah what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> this, this shitty podcast. <laughs> You'd already um, done that. <laughs> Damn um, it. So Jerry Orbach was born in 1935 in the Bronx, but his family moved all over. Um, his father was of Jewish descent, but he was raised Polish Catholic, which is what his mother was. Um, but they moved all over, eventually landing in the north suburbs of Chicago, not far from where I grew up. He went to Waukegan High School, who I would play against in Scholastic Bowl sometimes. Um, and um, eventually he went to University of Illinois and Northwestern, didn't graduate from college because he went to New York to be a performer. So his first gig in New York was that he was in Three Penny Opera, where I believe he originated the role of McKeith. Um, That didn't quite make him a star, but it made him a big player, especially on the off-Broadway scene, so when it was time to cast the Fantastics, you knew where to go. Mm. And it's important to note, he was like 21-ish at the time he was in Three Penny Opera, so... It's important to know. In, insane. Singing I mean, the hit the road blues. Is anywhere else you could possibly go after New York would be 
I don't actually Special know what you're It's Rent. How dare oh, you? <laughs> oh God, I'm not. I you guys know. can't see because this is a podcast, but Jeremy just looked really um, dead in the eyes while I did that because he didn't know what I was doing. I thought I like knew Rent well. I always <laughs> skip like the boring expositional songs. What? Santa Fe is like the best song. <laughs> oh, that's a Santa Fe. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm such an embarrassment. That's okay. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm sorry. And I thought I liked that and song too. And you thought it's okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'm really. No, it's okay. Usually I'm correcting you, so this is good. That's true. This is good. A moment of Um, of knowledge. Turnabout is fair play. Okay. So here's what's interesting that I think, well, not really, but Jerry Orbach played Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, the film version. So he became a huge success. He was in tons of Broadway shows. Yeah. Um, He was in Promises, Promises. He was in um, 42nd Street. He was in Chicago. He was the original Billy Flynn in the original Chicago in the 70s. Um, Well, but back to Beauty and the Beast... My notable connection there is I saw the Fantastics um, off-Broadway, I think in around 2006, and it had Tom Jones in it, playing one of the neighbors. Um, yes. And the narrator character, the Jerry Orbach character, was played by a gentleman who, I don't know how old I was, I was young. Um, we realized I'd seen him as Gaston as a child when I'd seen Beauty and the Beast. Oh. So I just am positing that there's some sort of blood connection between Beauty and the Beast and the Fantastics. Implausible, but okay. Um, um, that's my segue. Yeah. Into saying that I saw the revival, and Tom Jones was in it, which was yes. wild. Yeah, he might have been playing an older actor instead of one of the two fathers. I think um, you're right. I think he we'll get into the older we'll get into the plot in a second. No, um, right. One okay. last note on Jerry Orbach is that he was most famous for being in Law and Order for like 12 <laughs> years. Um, he was one of the stars, the original Law and Order, not these new spinoffs. That makes me sad. Um, he was in it for a really long time. He had cancer basically the entire time he was in it, and he eventually died in 2004. Um, but he's, you know, like top five Broadway actor, like maybe top three. He's like, you know, one of the, like if you're talking like like male actor on Broadway, like Jerry Orbach is who you're talking yeah. about. Um, and, and this is like, this is what made him famous. That song you just listened to when he was only 25, sounding wise beyond his years. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's wild. It's crazy to look at the pictures of the cast of the Fantastics. He looks young, but then this voice comes out of him, and it's... And you're like, I'll listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Sidebar, I hate when Broadway stars are on TV, and then, like, in their bios, we're always like, that's when they became world famous. The same... I, I say this because when Elaine Stritch passed, I remember reading a bio that was like, da-da-da-da-da-da, Broadway, Broadway, theater credit, theater credit, became a household name yeah. when she was on 30 Rock. <laughs> Thir- like, oh my god! I was like, "Fuck that! That's not her legacy." Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, I I agree. Um, no, I know you're just on Jerry Orbach's Wikipedia page. There's a long quote by Patrick uh, Swayze, uh, who is like, "You know, it's so rare for someone to go from musical theater to serious, realistic acting." <laughs> like, how dare you, how Patrick dare Swayze? You, Patrick Swayze. You, you think? Oh my god! That's okay. Um, it's ridiculous. That's okay. But also, so Jerry Orbach has been one of the most successful actors who ever lived to make that transition from musical theater into real, organic, break your heart kinds of reality in his work as a film actor. What? That that you could do that on Broadway too. Get out yeah. of here, yeah, how dare Swayze. He? Swayze. The poor man's Patrick Dempsey. Oh God. What I think. I know, but also R.I.P. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Is he dead? Yeah. Oh wow. Two thousand nine. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was confusing with Patrick Dempsey. Oh really? Who is not dead? That doesn't make sense. They, they have similar names. I know that I like. I know what each looks like. I'm. I'm not. It's like okay. I. I can tell the difference. <laughs> as I'm kid, just saying. I think I, of them similarly. I used to do that with Tim Curry and Jim Carrey as a kid, which they couldn't be more different. But. <laughs> so I don't think we've discussed the fact okay. that the Fantastics is the longest running musical in the history of the world. That's I, important. I think we've waited this long to bring that up, but yeah. it, it is true. Um, it ran from 1960 to 2002 mm-hmm. um, at the Sullivan Street Playhouse. At which point it closed. 
the playhouse in Greenwich Village was knocked down and it was replaced by a luxury five-story condominium. Um, why do we think it ran so long? I have some thoughts about why. It's cheap. That was what I was gonna say. I was like, oh, it's great and tidy and and also cheap. The rent so cheap. of its space probably wasn't that expensive. It's not like yeah. other shows were clamoring to replace it, like on a Broadway show. Mm. So it's kind of like if you own that space, actors want to be in it, and then eventually it takes on a life of its own, where it's like, well, this show doesn't deserve to be open maybe more so than another <laughs> show, but like it is the longest running show. It's, it's a classic, like, right? It's kind of like how in Lo- the longest running theater piece of all time period is The Mousetrap, which is still running in London right. and has been running since I think before Fantastics opened. I went to go see it. It was fine, but it's kind of just a thing like you don't go to it because out of all the amazing shows in London, you want to see The Mousetrap. You go really? see it because it's the <laughs> longest running show and you feel yeah. like you should. So like as much as I do actually love The Fantastics and think it is fantastic, Wow, um, Jeremy. I, I went into that not intending to make the pun, and then I realized and it was about to happen, so it was I paused. too late, yeah. yeah, and you had to just sort of follow it through. So I think it is great, but it probably wouldn't deserve to be the longest-running show in history if it wasn't for the fact that it's like 1997, and you're like, oh, this is the longest-running show, and it's 1997. Let's go see it tonight. Yeah, okay, I hear that. Yeah, I think money has to do with it, too. Yes, definitely. Yeah, but definitely. okay, we should talk a little bit about the piece structurally and yes. maybe the plot. Do you want to give like a brief synopsis? Do you, you want? I've been talking a lot. You, no, you give the synopsis because you'll you'll do it better. Okay. The basic premise is that it's sort of hard. It starts with the uh, narrator, as we just uh, played for you guys, harkening back to a uh, more romantic time mm-hmm. uh, where you know love was real or hearts were follow or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's this couple, a, a young man, a young woman. Who are in love and they think there's a wall between their houses because their fathers hate each other and mm-hmm. because of this forbidden love they really want to be together but it turns out their fathers are in cahoots um, because they know that if your kid if you say no to your kids about something the kids want it even more right so they try to keep the kids apart the kids eventually come together through this elaborate ruse which we'll get into because it's a little problematic and then eventually they fall out of love, and then they grow, and they fall back in love, and we live happily ever after, and it's about growing up and, and learning. <laughs> very uh, classic in terms of the story. Very Romeo and Juliet, Pyramus and Thisbe. Yeah. Intentionally, because that's what the original playwright uh, sort of based the story yeah. on, is sort of a, a comment on those stories. Yeah. It weirdly made me think of The Tempest, just because, I don't know, I've been thinking about that play recently, how he like forbids her from marrying him. Anyway, an old trope. Yes. An old trope. Um, I think we should just dig into uh, the problems with this show, or do we want to play some more music? Well, should first? we? We could get to that in chronological okay, order. So right. we'll sort of do a, a quick little tour Great. through the songs, some of the amazing songs in this show, and then we will get to that where it actually appears in the story. Okay. So here's the song "Metaphor," which I always thought was called "You Are Love." I don't or... know what to call her. She's too vibrant for a name. Let's just skip. call her. I love these '60s accents. Yeah. Speak a little louder. Whoa. a fun song to sing. Yeah. This makes me think of um, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, the metaphor for love song. Oh, you know, I don't actually, I've never seen it live. <gasps> what? Yeah, no, I never have. Oh, they have a whole song about um, blood and as a metaphor for love, oh. which I never, it occurred to me, but definitely was influenced by this song. There's no way it couldn't have been. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, here, I'm... I'll pull it up. Well, that's a metaphor for how I feel no, when I dream of you. You just said it's a metaphor. No, I know, but I think it's... 
think you were probably right There's the first time. There's a part where time. it's rocking. But and when the doctor says you're gonna make it, I tell him why I'm able to take it. It's not blood, it's a metaphor for love. These aren't veins, just the beating of my heart. This fever isn't real, it represents how I feel. Anyway. <laughs> my pain transformed into art. You know, two things just happened. I remembered the song, and then I remembered I have seen Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson live. And it just didn't stick with no, me. No, <laughs> I love Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. I saw a Northwestern production yeah. of it. Um, it was, I mean, it was a good one. I just forgot about it. I mean, I don't know. That song, there's no way it's not uh, influenced by, I would argue. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. You know, yeah. it's, 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 <laughs> was this in, um, I mean, it was in the public, so I guess that's mm. off-Broadway, right? Yeah. Yeah, Michael. so I mean, it's part of that uh, that grand tradition. Michael Friedman, R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, I am going to play for you a different version okay, of I Am Love. Um, in, so it closed in 2002, the show, and then it came back in 2006, closer to the theater district in, uh, what's now called the Jerry Orbach Theater, and that ran from 2006 until 2017, when it recently closed, but in 2011, they stunt cast it with Aaron Carter. What? How did I not know this? I didn't, I had no idea. That's insane. So here's, like, a brief snippet of him singing that song. All right, so wrong song, but that was uh, Aaron Carter. Find, find the right one. No, but I mean, that's the only clip we have of him singing oh, in the show. That's the, so fucking strange. That was him doing the Broadway and Bryant Park outdoors. That's the only snippet of him. He's not that good, but he's also not that bad. No, he's not terrible. Like, I would pay the money to go see him in Fantastics. Yeah, it's one of those things, I think, where the bar's low, and then if you pass the bar, you're like, okay, you can be a lawyer. Um, oh, oh, oh. Should we play Never Say No? Sure. Okay, so this is the two dads singing about how you have to lie to your kids. Um, <laughs> funny story, so the only production of Fantastics I've ever seen was that my dad was in a community theater production oh of Fantastics God. when I was in high school, um, and he played one of the dads. So, That's um, really adorable. Children, lovers, Fantastics, geese. How clever we are. How crafty to know. To manipulate children, you merely say no. This isn't how they're flat. <laughs> they don't hit the notes. But I like that. I like that it's not like talking. Yeah, I like how like they they're always like one of the guys always is a little low when he's like coming in on those high yeah. notes. Um, Why do they want their kids to marry so bad? Because it'll just I bet because they're buddies. Like, I don't know. Because it'll and like fuse their families. Or yeah, something. and they live next door to each other. They could uh, knock down the houses and build one bigger house on the lot. <laughs> so really, it's a play about property. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so that's out of the way. Now let's yes. talk about. Okay. Wait. So okay, yeah. So there's the thing that we have to talk about is there's um, a song that is literally called the Rape Ballet in the show, mm -hmm. um, in which Jerry Orbach's character, the narrator, kidnaps um, the daughter of one of the neighbors and has a whole song about it. Um, and there's sort of two things to discuss. One is that it's completely unacceptable <laughs> and it totally sucks. Um, there is sometimes an argument made that uh, the term rape at that time or in the context of the song is referring to an abduction. And that, that is made explicit in the text, but yeah. you know, it's like sort of like a wink, well, wink, like this isn't about rape, but we're going to use the word rape a lot of times to titillate you. Which is, um, you know, not good. Yeah. Um, so I, we should 
play it because we're not we don't want to ignore the fact that this exists in the show but also um it's total bullshit and it aged poorly yeah so if you don't want to hear the word rape like nine billion times maybe skip ahead 30 seconds to a minute um, and we're still going to talk about it after that, but here, here's uh, here's the song. And the shame is it's actually a really banging song. But, That's uh, not a good choice of words, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was a really bad choice of words. But you know what I mean. It, yeah. That, that is how I refer. The first song is bangers. Bangers. Okay, anyway, let's... <laughs> like the Miley Cyrus album. It depends upon the quality of the rape. The what? Forgive me. The attempted rape. Now, I know you prefer abduction, but the proper word is rape. It's short and businesslike. What? what? Whose idea was this? So the premise is that the father, I'll pause for a second, the fathers want the kids to get together, but the kids believe the fathers hate each other, so they need to do this whole scheme wherein they will hire a set of actors led by the Jerry Orbach narrator to pretend or to be about to abduct the girl, and then the boy will fight off these men um, win the daughter and save her, and the fathers who will be watching the whole thing will be like, oh, now we can all be friends because you saved her, and so that will be what brings the family together. S- stupid. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's continue. This is, like, literally ridiculous and horrible. I'll skip ahead to like the chorus. You can get the rape for life. You will sow the breeze and you make the rape by coach. It's little in request. The rape by day, but the rape by night is best. Just try to see it. And you will sow the breeze and yours by. Invite regret. When you can get the sort of rape you'll never ever forget. You can get the rape and back it. This is ridiculous. We have to stop. You can get the rape on horseback, they all say it's new and gay. So you see, the sort of rape depends on what you pay. It depends on what you pay. Okay. Also, correction earlier, this song is called It Depends on What You Pay. Yeah, the rape LA is where the actual uh, rape happens. Or uh, like rape, I guess, in quotes, the attempted rape. It depends on what you pay is where he sort of like uh, hoodwinks the parents into paying for like an overly expensive abduction. Yeah, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my yeah. entire life. I literally <laughs> forgot. It literally feels like an SNL skit. Yeah. Like, it actually feels like springtime for Hitler to me. Yeah. Um, so that just didn't age well. And There there are replacements. There's a replacement song. So the, the, the rape ballet is called the abduction ballet in certain... Like, if you want to rent it through MTI, uh, the song rape ballet, the name is just changed to abduction ballet because nothing actually has to change because it's just yeah. an abduction. And then this song is cut... Um, and replaced by another song which uses the the melody from the abduction and it's like a totally brand new song the, the this this sort of new song was written in the 90s I believe but they didn't actually use that in the off-broadway version or the revival that ran in 2017 but like if your high school is putting it on or your college you can replace that one song and then the new version of the show with that one song like there's really nothing to complain about in the new version of the show but we can't we also can't like dodge the fact that like this song didn't age well no it's horrible i mean okay also i don't know i'm looking at this play now and i know that it's old and folksy or whatever um but even the abduction sucks. Like, I'll put my daughter in what she thinks yes. is mortal danger <laughs> in order to, like, convince her that this wedding to this man she is in love with is okay. Yeah. Like, that's just emotional abuse of your child. <laughs> and, and, then, and there's also the stuff later on where, like, the narrator and his cronies, like, 
are like constantly beating the boy and he's like crying for help and then they like convince the girl she's watching like a monkey dancing and she like ignores him oh yeah that goes God. on later that i forgot about that this, well, let's, let's this go to that play one is weird that one's fun yeah um, so they they the bandits end up beating the boy oh so they get together well so let's let, okay we'll, we'll do this in order okay. so oh um i'll play a bit of soon it's gonna rain not the aaron carter version just okay. because it's maybe the most famous song from this that isn't try to remember mm. um but it's not like crucial to the plot but i'm just gonna play a bit and then we'll get back to the story This is a song that I feel like is like Broadway genre. Soon it's gonna rain, I can see. Soon it's gonna rain, I can tell. Soon it's gonna rain. What are we gonna do? Okay, so there's that song. Great. <laughs> Um, so everyone gets together. The act one ends. Everyone's in a tableau. Mm-hmm. This also makes more use of tableau than your average old musical. Um, <laughs> like they're just frozen in their happy position. But then the moon changes to a sun, and suddenly everything is is sad. So here's a bit of a song where the families realize everything isn't all cracked up, isn't as it's cracked up to be. It's like into the woods. Very much like that. Sondheim, I think, owes something of a debt to this musical. I mean, that last song, Soon It's Gonna Rain, like, that feels like it wouldn't be super out of place in, like, a little night music or something. Fragile. It was very apt to fray. And what was last night scenic may seem cynic by today. That's a good line. The play's not done. Yeah. Oh, no, not quite. But life never ends in the moonlit night. I love a little... And despite what pretty poets say, poetry. <laughs> the night is only half the day. So we would like to truly finish what was foolishly begun. For the story is not ended, and the play is never done until we've all of us been burned a bit and burnished by the sun. <laughs> that was more important than I think the yes, actual hard. song to follow. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah. This plum is it's too it's ripe. It's too ripe, she yeah. says. Um so I think the next song to play is I can I think I can see it is the song where like the boy leaves and he goes to live his own life. So he travels the world and he keeps getting into lots of trouble. And the girl is sort of worrying about it a little bit. But uh, Jerry Orbach and Co are trying to distract her and be like, "Oh, the the troubles of the world aren't that." What's important. his aim? Like, what's the Jerry Orbach character's stake in this world? Like, why does he keep tangling with these people? It's a good point. I guess he's like a storyteller. Yeah. This is the wrong song. Okay, that was the wrong song. Let's keep <laughs> looking for it. Oh, it's gonna be round and round. Yeah. Don't play a song called Panther Radish. Okay, so the song I was looking for, I believe, is called Round and Round. So here we go. You and I, us together. Yes, dancing. Forever I think it might be something like the narrator's like wooing her, no, but to show her that like she doesn't belong with him, or some some weird yeah, plot what's his contrivance. I have questions about the narrator's role in this world. It's very devious. Yeah, like it's like we're one step away from the narrator and Pippin, who like eventually becomes the antagonist. Right. Oh, there goes the nose. Oh, 
terrible. Whoa. Is this That's the boy who's yeah. burning. Yeah. Oh, this is a good, good sh voice showcase for her. Almost glitter and be gay ass. Okay, yes, that was that song. That's terrible. So, yeah, the boy, like, gets in trouble on his travels <laughs> and is being, like, beaten and tortured. Yeah, but eventually they both grow up and end up together wiser Again. and not... Because their whole thing was that they were flighty and they, and they love this idea of being in love. But now that they're grown up and mature, they fall in love for real. And Yeah, I think that this musical has <laughs> some really problematic morality. You came in so high on this musical and then I reminded you of everything yeah, in everything. it. And then, yeah. I was like, oh, I like that song about September. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that this musical is pretty fucked up, actually. <laughs> I don't know. That's a really messed up song. I mean, I'm actually so, okay. I just saw this production of Oklahoma at St. Anne's Warehouse that is going to transfer to Broadway, directed so by Daniel Fish. It's amazing. And what I like about it is they sort of do the show extremely straight, but not um, stylized like classical Broadway. Like, it's very stripped. Um, and so I feel like you're actually listening to, like, a um, occasionally emotionless reading of this text, and you suddenly hear, like, what is embedded in this script. And I'm kind of interested in approaching a lot of classical American musical theater that way. Um, because it's fascinating and you're like suddenly, I don't know, accountable to all these um, embedded themes. And I would love to hear the Fantastics done that way is my my feeling now because um, like what would happen if you did, um, it depends on what you pay, totally straight now, you know? Yeah, like, interesting. Yeah. That, that is That has been kind of our takeaway from all of these. Like yeah. the way to fix Taming of the Shrew isn't to mask the evilness of it, but yeah. to highlight that Petruchio is the villain. Or just not do it, but or you know. Or just not do it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like um, if you're gonna, yeah. Anyway, fascinating. Um, so I guess the last thing to mention is that this was really successful and a really mm -hmm. big deal in the 60s. And it got done all yeah. over. I mean, it's so easy because it's an eight-person cast with, like, no costume budget, no pit. So it's really easy for community theaters, colleges to do all sorts of regional productions. And it went to, like, other countries. It's been done in Europe, Africa, Asia. Um, it was done in a 3,500-seat theater in what? China, um, which is insane. What is this about? Is it just, like, I have questions about really how it became that know. big. Like, is there something that feels universal to the time period or something? It's, it's, I guess so. Or it's just this sort of, this idea of lovers and fathers yeah. and and growing up, I guess. is in this, The melodies are so simple. Right. So um, I see a quote from a, who's this quote even from? You can't just put a quote. <laughs> this book could just quote someone, but it doesn't even say who the quote is by. Jeremy loves this book. And it, it's a really good book. Uh, this is the Stemple book uh, by Larry Stemple Showtime. Showtime. Um, you can't just quote, you can't just put a quote in quotation marks and then not say who it's from. Anyway, some person eventually at some point said, <laughs> Fantastics is the first truly international American musical playing in countries that still hadn't seen Oklahoma. Um, but I just maybe, referenced Oklahoma. Maybe Stemple just said Everything. that sentence once out loud and then quoted it to make it seem more legitimate. legitimate. <laughs> it's like you could have just put that without the quotes. I, I would have believed said. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So that's. And do you have any other things to say? You never talked about when you first saw this. I don't. Oh, oh I you mean, did. You did a little. Yeah, I was a kid. Um, I don't know. I remember the narrator doing a fun bit with wine, and he drank the wine from an audience member. Mm -hmm. um, that was exciting to my twelve-year-old brain. I think. How old would I have been in two thousand six? Um, 14. 14? My 14 year old brain? Um, yeah. Yeah, I was 14 or 15 probably. Yeah. I don't know. This show, I think, ages terribly is my takeaway. <laughs> I, I think it's just that one song. Honestly, I feel like yeah. all of the rest of it ages fine. I think other, it ages, other than that one song. Yeah, it doesn't age. That song ages horrifically. 
as a piece now, like I'd be interested in seeing it done. And you can do it without that piece if you want. Right. But even like what 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 I'd be interested in seeing it kind of split open a little bit more, I guess. Mm. Like what is it actually about? Um I'll also add like the daughter sort of has no agency in the show. Like it's a lot of her being like passed around. She kind of reminds me of the girl in Three for Madness in the beginning, hmm. who's very like, oh, like la di da. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know, maybe the, both of the young lovers are depicted that way. I feel like they're both kind of depicted. I mean, there's, the problem is that there's only one woman character, so we have right. like both the boy and the <laughs> girl. Sounds like a Broadway musical to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> both the boy and the girl have yeah. pretty much no agency and are both portrayed as doofuses. Yeah. Um, but there are other men who are not portrayed that way. Basically just the narrator. The narrator. The so basically, the, I guess you could make the narrator a woman. Yeah, that, I would be interested in seeing it like cast really untraditionally i'm sure it has been yeah um because why, why wouldn't you why wouldn't like you? when you when you revive it in like oh in oh six and you're running until 2017 like yeah. why like why wouldn't you yeah. um i don't know hey there's a song called plant a radish and you can't say that for all musicals so. that's true <laughs> um one interesting tidbit is that the, the one of the two fathers grows kumquats and that was the one my dad played but none of us in our family had ever had a kumquat before what? so he's like if i'm singing about kumquats i should buy some and eat them so we all ate kumquats one night so that my dad could see what they tasted like and it's like a tiny orange where yeah. you eat the skin you eat the skin my um great it's uncle madness. used to grow them oh yeah we would you're grow. standing on my kumquats <laughs> did you like them yeah i did They're i yummy. actually i did it's so weird uh, should we rate this thing i guess we should rate this thing all right Oh, oh boy. Okay, what's our first rating? Right, I'll go first. Was it okay. actually you go first and was it important? Was it I, important? I want to hear you go first because I don't want to influence you. Okay, out of ten, was it important? Um, I'm gonna give it a seven. Okay. Because it was so popular. Yes. Like because it was truly so popular. Like I I don't know and and the way it changed um some of the formal elements of musical theater, um in terms of like the directing quality and the small band um so i'm gonna give it a seven okay i'm gonna do something wild here whoa for the fourth time after showboat oklahoma and west side story i'm giving out a 10 no yeah no yeah yeah no this is the, one of the most important musicals of all time it invented i, this. I mean I, we spent this whole time talking about how like the way that we think of musicals today is fundamentally changed because of this show the way that new musicals are produced and written and the way that people think like they'll listen to their um um who's the guy who did spelling bee and also all those other shows william finn like that yeah. kind of show that's all from this musical and well, the ones that came before it but like this is like the the thing that crystallized and popularized this whole form of musical theater mm. in musical theater it used to be operetta and then it switched to like like, you know, glitzy showgirls and, and Ziegfeld, and then it switched to, you know, realism, Oklahoma. Fine. There, this is the show that created the Broadway we live in today. I Everything like is, is a child of Oklahoma and the Fantastics. Those are the, sh the two shows that combined created our current Broadway. I feel like, heard, heard, but I feel like we're giving the 10 to the historical event rather than to the show itself. Does that make sense? No, I, I think we're giving it to the show itself because this show... What what else is what was it important? That's the whole thing. We're giving it to the historical event. That's yeah. that's what this whole category get, is. Right. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Okay. But yeah. No. That's that's fine. I'm not going to give it a ten on was it good or is it good. Yeah. I'm giving it a ten was it important. Was it important? Okay. Fine. Of, of every, I, I actually don't. I can't believe I gave West Side Story a ten. I think I wanted to give West Side Story a perfect thirty, so I manufactured the ten and was sure. it important. <laughs> it does deserve a ten in the other two categories. It shouldn't have had a ten and wasn't important. Too late well, to go back. Anyway, late. Fantastics is on the level of Showboat in Oklahoma. Okay. Is what I'm saying. Ten. Ten. Seven for me. All right. Um, was it good? So compared to what had come out, how good was it? Hmm. 
I have a thought. I'm right. gonna I'm gonna give it an eight point five. What? Was it good compared to what compared to what else had come out? Again, it was it was a like we're we're in bye bye birdie mode. Yeah, We've had all these Rogers like this changes the genre of the music. Like even if you don't agree with me that there is a Broadway genre, this at least changed the changed. style of music mm-hmm. on Broadway itself. From right, like, fine. Giving it a seven and a half. Okay. No, you're giving it good scores too. You're just a little shocked at mine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, is it good today? If this opened, would you go see it? Are we, are we, should we say give it credit and they're going to take out the rape song? Yeah, let's assume that it's like a production that is, um, you know. They've taken that song out, that, all the other songs stay, and there's one new song. Yeah, I don't want to assume that it's like super, like a, my version of the experimental musical production, but like yeah. a version that definitely doesn't have that song like in the it. The version that like your local community <laughs> theater in 2019 is, is going to do, yeah. Um, is it good? Six. That feels high. That's no. That's exactly what I was gonna okay. get. Six is the same score. Yeah. Um. It's a little high, but yeah. So so we both like the show equally. I I just give it more credit. Yeah, for that's the fair. past. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, maybe I'm in a mood coming home down <laughs> hard on Fantastics. Yeah. So I gave it twenty four point five. You gave it twenty. Boom. You still gave it a good score. So the total there is forty five, which is good. That's very good. Is it? What's because you're ten? It has the same score as My Fair Lady. It does. What? Because I gave it such a high score and wasn't important. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm going to put it right below My Fair Lady, though. So it's tied for uh, sixth place with My Fair Lady behind West Side Story, South Pacific, Oklahoma, Guys and Dolls, and Gypsy. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we do the thing where we add with the run. Now, this run was so long, I'm not going to include it. Like, the longest run we've ever had for a show before now is 2717, which was for My Fair Lady. So that now it has a 10 in like the length of the run and everything else is what percentage of my fair ladies run i'm not going to make this the new barometer because then every show after this would be scoring really low but what i am going to do is say because this got such a big run we're just going to give it a 10 and then not add it to like the normal list okay so that raises this from 45 to 55 which interestingly continues its tie with my fair lady because they each got a 10. so in terms once you add in the run it upgrades itself so, when you don't consider the run, it's tied for sixth with My Fair Lady. When you do consider the run, it's tied for fourth with My Fair Lady. So, <laughs> Fantastic's top four musical. There you go. There you go. And well, th- that's not outrageous. This is it's no, the it's longest it's running longest show running of show. all time. The, like, and it's fourth place <laughs> as of 1960. It's going to drop even from there. I think this is exceptionally ordinary. Only thing I have to say about that is, um, Jeremy, in. hold on, <laughs> is... <laughs> Alright, be sure to subscribe on any podcast app (laughs) at Broadway underscore binge (laughs) on Twitter. Uh, Join the conversation, leave us a tweet at Broadway underscore binge or on uh, Instagram at Broadway binge. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, which will help more people discover the pod. Go to our website at broadwaybinge.podbean.com. All right. Thanks for joining us. Um, And we'll see you guys next week for Camelot. I love it. <laughs> oh fuck, we have to watch Camelot. God that damn it. Terrible. <laughs> That's gonna be so bad. That's considered like the most boring musical in Broadway history. <laughs>